Today on MuggleCast, we discuss Chapter 5 of Goblet of Fire. But first, this week's episode is sponsored by HelloFresh. The holidays are right around the corner, and HelloFresh can help take the stress out of dinner by delivering everything you need to cook up tasty meals right to your door, saving you tons of time. Just like always, HelloFresh's ingredients travel from the farm to your door, so you know they're fresh, and everything arrives pre-portioned so you can get right to cooking quick. The most wonderful time of the year is also the most delicious, and thanks to HelloFresh, filled with the best tastes and most variety. I don't know about you, but my favorite part of the evening is dinner, food, sweet food, and there's no better way to enjoy an evening meal than by cooking up something that is truly delicious and unique. No more repeating the same dinners that are just okay. Let HelloFresh's chefs dream up amazing recipes for you to easily cook at home. Your meals are individually sorted, and the instructions are very easy to follow. Plus, you get the sweet feeling of satisfaction, knowing that you've made something amazing on your own. Go to HelloFresh.com slash MuggleFree and use code MuggleFree for free breakfast for life. One breakfast item per box while your subscription is active. That's free breakfast for life at HelloFresh.com slash MuggleFree with code MuggleFree, F-R-E-E. HelloFresh is America's number one meal kit. Hello and welcome to MuggleCast episode 635, a very special episode, Some Girls episode of MuggleCast. Uh, this is your weekly ride into the Wizarding World fandom. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. And I'm Laura. Uh, stay out of Molly's kitchen because the sauce ain't the only thing boiling over tonight. Ooh. I love whoever wrote that. Probably Micah, right? <laughs> it was me. We're getting back after a few weeks off into Goblet of Fire chapter by chapter. Very excited to be doing that. But first, uh, Andrew could not make it and uh, we're powering forward in his stead. But we do have with us a wonderful slug club guest hello katie hi welcome to the show thank you for having me i'm very excited please can we get your fandom id sure so my favorite book is order of the phoenix uh, my favorite movie is i think prisoner of azkaban i don't know why hell yeah you don't you hell think so yeah. but you don't know why i don't know why it's not that good but it's good i don't <sighs> yeah. know uh, my house is Gryffindor. My Patronus is a Marsh Harrier, I think. Some kind of bird. Oh. Uh, my Ilvamorny house is Wampus, which I had to look up before this. And then my favorite Weasley is George. Okay. I'm sure you'll be singing all of George's praises. Of course. Well, <laughs> we have a few announcements before we get into our chapter by chapter this week. Micah, why don't you tell us what's coming up in bonus? Yeah, so we have a really exciting bonus muggle cast planned, the first for November. Uh, thank you to Andrew, actually, for planning it. So <laughs> he did the work, but uh, we get to have the discussion. And we're going to be discussing the question, what did a good character do in the Harry Potter series that really just kind of rubbed us the wrong way? Ooh. And this was pulled, I believe, from a Reddit thread, subreddit. I'm not familiar with Reddit, not a big Reddit user, but I want to make My sure God. I get the terminology right. I know Laura's <laughs> going to 
no, kick me off the show. I'm but, not going to uh, kick you off the show. I'm just, I feel bad for you. You're depriving yourself of so much information. <laughs> you should see. I think, honestly, Micah, I'm surprised you're not a Redditor. It feels very up your alley. Okay. Ooh. Well, okay. maybe this bonus muggle cast will uh, <laughs> get me going on the Reddit train. But uh, yeah, there are a lot of things that quote unquote good characters did in the Harry Potter series that really irked people. And uh, we're going to discuss them coming up in bonus muggle cast. Well, yeah, I love the topic. I'm very excited to be getting to that. Um, especially because something that was touched on on last week's MuggleCast, the all-girls episode, no character uh, is black or white, and there's things to love about uh, our favorite characters and things to hate. So, by the way, I want to shout out Laura. Great job last week and on that episode, and Chloe and Pam and Meg, everyone did a really great job. I loved doing the episode and I loved listening back to it after it came out. It came out so well. And I was really happy to hear that the final product felt very much the way I felt when we were recording it. So really hoping that everyone enjoyed and please, we want to hear your feedback. We want to hear what y'all's thoughts are because we are always looking for feedback on what things we can do with the show as we move forward as anyone who took our survey knows so yeah really appreciate it was a really great episode i listened to it um on my commute this week and i will say i think there was a bit of inspiration for at least part of this discussion that's coming up a little bit later on Mm -hmm. in in this episode i know i loved that i'm so excited for us to get there Well, cool. Uh, Right before we dive in, there's one more announcement, and this one is really exciting, actually. I'm very stoked about it. It feels like Christmas has come early, uh, or I hope that it will feel that way to uh, listeners of the show. Have you ever wanted one of our cool physical gifts that we send usually to patrons, but you couldn't or came too late to subscribe to our Patreon Well, if this is you, you're in luck for the first time ever. We are selling the uh, additional copies, the physical gifts, the leftover gifts from years past on the MuggleCast and Millennial Overstock store. It's over on Etsy. The URL for this is mugglemillennial.etsy.com because we combine the two shows, uh, Overstock Gifts, And the MuggleCast beanie is on here. You guys, honestly, by the time that this episode comes out, I'm not even sure we're still going to have them. But Pickle Pack t-shirts are available. Like the original Pickle Pack shirts. The the progenitor to MuggleCast on Patreon by like nine years. The ancestor of MuggleCast Patreon. Those shirts are available all on the MuggleCast store. Laura. Tell us more. And just for anyone who may be listening and going, okay, what the heck is Millennial? We have plugged it before for anyone at home. Millennial is another podcast that I host with Andrew and with Pam, who was on the All Girls episode last week. But since all of these are extra inventory that we've collected over the years, everything is only going to be available while supplies last, y'all. These are not going to be printed or sold again. 
We have several unique anniversary-oriented products, like our 15th anniversary t-shirts and our 16th anniversary wooden cars, so don't miss out. Your purchase does go to supporting the show, so thank you so much in advance. And uh, congrats to our recent Quizich Live winners who won their first pick. Uh, at some of these presents from the Overstock store as well. And uh, they chose the Pickle Pack shirts. So again, I think those are going to go like hotcakes. But I think that may be it for the announcements and it's ready to dive in. This week, we're discussing Chapter 5 of Goblet of Fire titled Weasley's Wizard Wheezes. I always forget that the name for their eventual joke shop comes quite early uh, in the series. I will say I forgot about that too. Me too. And I don't know if it's an offhand joke or not, but we'll talk about that in a moment. For seven word summary, Katie, I hope you don't mind. We have you in here twice and you're leading us off. Sure. Why not? (laughs) Harry. Visits. The. Burrow. And. Mm, There's so many different directions we could take this. I know. What's it going to be? I know. Ah, ah. And eats. Satisfactorily. There we go. For the fr- <laughs> this, You know what? Honestly, y'all, I love this one because it is Harry's first satisfactory meal all summer. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God, it is. That's right. I really feel like you pulled it all together there in the end, Micah, with that last word there. You really did. Yeah, I, I thought about food and i just said that's not sufficient for um for this seven word summary but i i do feel like that is a pretty good summary of this chapter because mm-hmm. it's one of those chapters where not a lot happens but a lot happens at the same time you got to mm. read between the lines a little bit and it is great to be back doing chapter by chapter it's been a couple weeks And I think it's actually been three weeks since we've been with Harry. He ended up arriving at the borough and really just broke this discussion into two different segments. I want to talk first about family dynamics and life after Hogwarts, because in this chapter, the Wizarding World continues to expand, right? That's one of the things that we talked a lot about with the fourth book in particular, is that the world is really starting to open up for Harry. We're given a look at what life is like for a wizarding family. Yes, we've been to the borough before, but we get a little bit more in depth in this chapter. And we also learn a little bit more about what opportunities are available career-wise for witches and wizards. And it's not all about the ministry, which I think is important because you know it's not just about governmental jobs. The other thing I wanted to raise, and I'm interested to get all of your thoughts, is this chapter really does a terrific job setting up what we can expect from the members of the Weasley family moving forward in the series. Mm-hmm. It's it's kind of a snapshot of the expectation for how the Weasleys are going to behave in these next couple of books. Yeah. Great point. It also just reminds me of what it felt like to meet members of close friends family um who i had only heard stories about and then kind of meeting them in person for the first time and either being surprised at the person i was meeting or not surprised mm-hmm. at all at the person i was meeting it also tells you so much about that friend right like when you meet 
your friend's parents, I feel like oftentimes you're like, oh, I get it now. Um, But then, you know, I think you can say the same thing when you meet siblings that are maybe older and, and haven't been around that much. Yeah, it's definitely like seeing another side of the person that you do know is seeing who else their family members are. Uh, Katie, has this happened to you? All the time. And I actually, I just asked my students, like, what would happen when um, expectations don't meet your reality? Mm. Oh, my God. Yeah. I, like, I just asked it last week and it was it was all, they're going to be disappointed. But I think in like some cases, you're pleasantly surprised. And I, like, I liked ha- when... I liked when Harry met all of the, all of the Weasleys. It's funny because going in, if you remove Bill and Charlie from the picture, Harry does have kind of like almost like a 50-50 view of the Weasleys where like, yeah, Ron is obviously his best friend. Ginny, Harry really does not know enough to form an opinion on. I think that's clear. Like she still blushes when he says hello to her. Like there's no relationship there. Then he knows Percy is kind of, even now, a bit, you know, pretentious, a bit ministry and just doesn't know what to make him. So Bill or Charlie could have turned out either way. Statistically, it's like maybe they aren't the cool say. Turns out they're awesome. And Harry likes them both. Yeah, like I like how um, he's like, oh, I thought Bill was going to be like Percy because he works for Gringotts. And that's, that's a high ranking bank job. And he's like, no complete opposite with the dragon hide boots and everything i will say too going back to the burrow is always a magical experience um and i'm thrilled because i don't believe we did this in the previous book very much and no. so getting to that's actually this week's question i'm <laughs> failing to reference um but uh but yeah so having the experience of once again being in the kitchen where the dishes do themselves and you know magic is used for everything and magic is holding this house up and you go out to the garden for a nice uh, outdoor meal and all of a sudden the cat is chasing these gnomes it's just it reminds us i think what we love about these books is that glimpse into sort of casual wizard life the life we all want for ourselves secretly when we're reading these books for sure. I was reading it. I was like, this is so charming. I like this. I think that's a perfect descriptor for this chapter. Mm-hmm. Even though there is so much going on, and even though you don't know it as an initial reader, there are a lot of breadcrumbs being dropped in this chapter, right? On its face, it really just feels like a very charming chapter, which kind of lends itself to what Micah was saying about feeling like not that much happens in this chapter, but a little more than we suspect, at least at the beginning, is. Yeah. One thing I did want to bring up before we get to actually meeting the Weasleys, the connecting the threads piece of it, where very similar to Chamber of Secrets, the Weasleys arrive home from Privet Drive after having rescued Harry from the Dursleys. (laughs) And once again, his children have put Arthur in a very precarious situation, and Molly is not very happy. So this is very reminiscent of how book two started off. Yeah, with Molly kind of uh, going at some of the children for their actions, it is Fred and George again, actually, that get yelled at. So it's a heck of a connecting the threads um, to that moment two books ago. Yeah. On that point about Molly, she says... In retrospect, some kind of hurtful things about her sons. 
Mm-hmm. She's like, I don't know where we went wrong with them. She's basically being like, why can't they just be normal? <laughs> well, they just attacked a muggle. Fair. And not like, but like really almost, you know, insidiously too. Well, that was Fred. It's not just. It, it, was, it was Fred. Fred. Yeah, it wasn't. <laughs> it wasn't Katie's favorite, George. Uh, I think George was largely spared this one, but the the twins get in trouble together. I think what it is, honestly, Molly perfectly lays this out with their father's job at the ministry, which you know they don't ever think about at all. Ron didn't think about it when he took the flying car either. They can't be doing this to muggles. (laughs) It's extra bad. It's bad to begin with for wizard-muggle relations, and then it's extra bad for what it's going to show up as to, like, their dad. A 100%. I think... Fred and George, I feel like with Molly, sometimes are already at a bit of a disadvantage because there are so many other things that they do that aren't necessarily wrong that ruffle her feathers. Um, Let's think about the fact that it's mentioned that they didn't get as many OWLs as she would have expected. So she was already mad at them. Um, it's clear to me that Fred and George don't really fit the mold of what Molly wants her children to be. She doesn't love them any less for it, but that has an impact. And if Fred and George are so hell-bent on troublemaking and being the practical jokers and the class clowns, you have to wonder where that comes from, right? That kind of thing doesn't exist in a vacuum. Are you suggesting it's Molly's fault that the twins are the way they are? No, I mean, I I don't think it's as simple as saying it's entirely nature or entirely nurture. I think the answer is probably somewhere in the middle. But Molly has a part in it. I mean, parents shape their children for better or worse. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure, they do. I'm wondering if, like, she had these high expectations because of how Bill, Charlie, and Percy uh, turned out. Right. And then she gets Fred and George who don't meet those expectations. You know, that kind of makes me ask, too, what are her expectations with Fred and George? Because I feel like you've won a lot with your first three Mm -hmm. kids, right? Like, Bill, Harry takes one look at him. He's like, oh, he's cool. And obviously being head boy and everything that 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 Charlie and Bill have got going for them, they both have jobs that are fulfilling to them. They both kind of carved their own path. And Percy is on uh, track to be the next minister for magic. I mean, not yet, but, you know, 15 years from now, you could really see that kid turning out great. So the idea that Fred and George like aren't what Molly's expecting, I think it's the next natural progression to your point, Laura, like a response to almost the other brothers. But I think by the fourth or fifth kid, which is where Fred and George are as a parent, you kind of relax and you go, you know what? I'm clearly okay enough at this parenting thing. However, they're turning out. Yeah, it's different. I'm a little unused to it, but like to be able to relax a little bit more. Yeah, you would think so, but you know, maybe Molly is a character that we can chat about in Bonus Bungle Cast this week because she is a mm-hmm. good character and a character that I am extremely fond of and a good mother, I would say, yeah. who does some things, particularly in Goblet of Fire, that uh, feel incredibly immature for 
a mother for someone her age um, and for, you know, a role model and a mentor. So we'll share some of those thoughts in bonus. So one of the really cool things with this chapter is we're obviously introduced to two new Weasleys in Bill and Charlie. We've talked a little bit about that already, but I wanted to go through the descriptions a little bit because this goes to the point of earlier when we were talking about meeting somebody for the first time and them defying expectations, right? I think both of these, even though it's really called out more with Bill, both of these characters really, they just hit Harry in a totally different way than what he was expecting, right? We have Charlie, (laughs) he's built like the twins, but shorter and stockier than Percy and Ron. He's got a broad, good-natured face, which is weather-beaten and so freckly that he looked tan. He's got calluses and blisters on his hands from his work with dragons. And he's got these nice biceps, these muscular arms, one with a very clear burn on it, right? So we got Charlie. It's funny because Bill is the one that's like, Harry's like, this guy's cool. But like, Charlie is cool. The burn on (laughs) his arm is very cool. It's very, very fetching. Yeah, exactly. So you mentioned Bill and- Harry had imagined him actually as an older version of Percy. And it just goes to show Mm. you that, you know, don't kind of judge a book by its cover from the standpoint of all Harry knows about Bill is what he knows about Bill. He hasn't actually seen him. When he sees him, you know, he's like, wait, this guy was head boy. He works at Gringotts. Like, wait, hold on a second. (laughs) This guy is cool. It turns out. People, people who work at banks are cool, apparently. I, I, I'm sure that that's true in real life. You can be an academic overachiever and still be cool. Mm-hmm. Totally. I, th- I think being an academic overachiever is what makes you cool, actually. Oh, I agree with that. But this is the 90s. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. So for Bill, though, he's got long hair tied back in a ponytail. He's got a fang earring, clothes that look like he belonged at a rock concert. And a pair of dragon hide boots. Don't tell Charlie. <laughs> he might be a little offended by that. <laughs> that's, that's right. He's wearing these boots right. Maybe Charlie gifted him them for Christmas. Perhaps. That's kind of cool. But you also brought up, Eric, that uh, he's got a little bit of a potty mouth, too. The coolest thing about Bill, yes, it's true. And I was first reading this book when I was 12, uh, was that Bill swears in front of his mom this was clearly a huge influence on my preteen self but he just says uh i think at one point molly asked him about his clothing and he's like mom they don't give a damn what i wear at the bank they just care about me bringing in treasure and it's just like (laughs) they probably prefer he doesn't wear anything the less Bill wears, the better at the bank. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, he he kind of had like a little bit of like a cowboy lilt to the impression you were doing there, Eric. I don't know what I was doing. Is it time to reveal that I've actually just secretly been cosplaying Bill? I got my hair back in a pony right now. Oh, look this at This whole that. time. But um, I don't have the earring or the boots yet. I'm working <laughs> on it. Um, but yeah, it, just swearing in front of mom. This is something we haven't yet seen any of the Weasleys do. Ron says bloody hell. And I know it's a British thing where some people are like, that's swearing. But like saying they don't give a damn mom and your concerns are not valid is about the coolest thing we see Bill do. I was going to say, and then 
Molly kind of follows his lead in Deathly Hallows. Oh, yeah. <laughs> this was a complete lead in. Molly's like, well, my <laughs> oldest son swears, so I can swear. She's not a regular mom. <laughs> She's a cool mom. Yes. Oh, my God. Mean Girls reference. <laughs> Time for a quick break again. If you're hiring for your business on your own, you're as helpless as the Weasley twins facing a lecturing from Molly. If you're hiring, you need Indeed, and here's why. Indeed is an unbelievably powerful hiring platform delivering four times more hires than all other job sites combined, according to Talent Nest 2019. Instead of spending hours on multiple job sites searching for candidates with the right skills, Indeed can help you do it all. This is partly thanks to Instant Match, which gets you quality candidates the moment you sponsor a job. Their hiring platform does the hard work for you. They show you candidates whose resumes on Indeed fit your description immediately after you post so you can hire faster. Even better, Indeed's the only job site where you only pay for applications that meet your must-have requirements. Join more than 3 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. Start hiring now with a $75 sponsored job credit to upgrade your job post at Indeed.com slash MuggleCast. Offer good for a limited time. Claim your $75 credit now at Indeed.com slash MuggleCast. Just go to Indeed.com slash MuggleCast and support the show by saying you heard about it on this podcast. Indeed.com slash MuggleCast. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. One of the uh, the questions that Andrew put in here was who's cooler? Is it Bill? Is it Charlie? And then naturally it goes to who'd you rather? Uh, and then <laughs> Bill. Bill. Okay. Charlie. Because I mean, you're going to take my um, MVP of the week title, but I feel like I have to justify this now. He's a punk rock king, man. Like, yes. so yeah, that's, that's my type. Katie disagrees. Charlie. I like Charlie. The short, stocky guys. Why not? Charlie, honestly, in how relaxed he is, shows a lot about how comfortable he is with his life. And that is something when you grow older, you start to appreciate more. Is like, oh, the quieter, more shy, like reserved people are the ones that don't have to fight for everything because they're kind of happy. And those end up being the more well-adjusted, better partners anyway, I think. Yeah. You know, you were, you were talking about cowboy earlier. It's kind of like you have the farmer and the cowboy going head to head with each other here a bit. <laughs> the farmer and the cowboy. <laughs> I'd love to uh, ascribe like different occupations for each of the Weasleys and just continue going down the line. Like, what does that make Percy? <laughs> oh, yeah. Well, we're, we're going to we could say some not nice things about what that makes Percy. Yeah, we're, we're going to talk <laughs> about Percy. <laughs> Okay, we'll get we'll get to him. So, but, but wait, wait, go ahead, y'all, Micah, Eric. We need to hear your answers. Yeah, probably Bill. I just Charlie. said that Charlie would be the better partner, but it's Bill. Yeah, I'm with Katie on this one. Team Bill. Well, Micah, do you want Charlie to take you on like a magic dragon back ride? Because I would actually switch teams <laughs> if he could let me ride a dragon. Yes. That would be. Yeah. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like, I mean, you could like go make out in the corner of Gringotts, like deep <laughs> in the cave somewhere. So, I mean, there's that. That's kind of fun. Yeah. He can take you on a magic. A what, what was that thing they ride down into train cart? Yeah. Yeah. It's not as cool as a dragon, though. I'm sorry. But they have dragons in Gringotts. Yeah. I feel like both of them are, are very pretty cool. And they set the bar really high. It's amazing that none of the other Weasleys seem to like really struggle 
under the pressure of Bill and Charlie being so dang cool. And I think with Fred and George, they like took one look at their older brothers and were just like, we're not even going to try. <laughs> like, <laughs> Probably. We can't, we can't touch that, but they're not funny like we are. I, you know, I think that was probably also part of Fred and George finding their identity and finding something that made them stand out because they had so many siblings. We see Ron go through the same thing to a, a more extreme extent, I would mm-hmm. argue. Let's talk about Fred and George a little bit. I did want to just call out, though, that on the return to Privet Drive, we see kind of a classic parenting situation where a child is getting reprimanded by one parent and that parent, in this case, it's Arthur, is using the other parent as a threat. The old wait until your mother hears about this and we've all been there, right? Whether whether it was coming from mom or coming from dad. Using whichever was the stricter parent that we didn't want to get in trouble with. Um, I feel like we've all been in that situation. Mm-hmm. A thousand percent. It's interesting to me because Arthur knows just like Molly does that what the twins did put his job at stake. But he still considers not telling Molly. Like telling Molly, he seems to decide in the moment would actually be slightly too far for their offense. Even though he's actually angry, we've never seen Arthur this upset at the kids, but he still doesn't want to go quite so far as to actually telling Molly. He'll only threaten to tell her. And it's only because he fails to come up with an alternative thing when she overhears, wait till I tell your mother, that he actually does end up telling her and the twins actually get in trouble. But why does he back off? Because he just seems to not advocate enough for himself or the the jeopardy that they put his job in just then. That's to me what the larger issue is, is that we know that this is, and go back to connecting the threads, right? To what happened in Harry's second year, he got into a lot of trouble, maybe not initially because of what was done. It really was because of what Ron did, right? Not necessarily Fred and George, but Fred and George were part of that initial test run that they did to um, Privet Drive. And so- I just feel like the twins should be a little bit more aware here, um, you know, and and they they're putting their dad in a really tough situation, and and they don't seem to have that awareness. Yeah, I I think too, it's possibly just that whatever um, qualms we see Mrs. Weasley voice about them having no ambition and all the stuff we'll get into talking even more about. Arthur doesn't quite have that same problem with them. I think that's just clear because as 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 much as they've just threatened his job. He really isn't, I think he's, it's not, it's not the, he's amused by their antics that it is in book two, where he's like, how did it go? You know, which is more movieism, I think too, but like, it's not that it really isn't that, but I think that he understands them. There might in fact be, this is something that just occurred to me. What if Fred and George are in their very personalities channeling more of Arthur than any of the other kids that were born like that whimsic nature, you know, we never hear of Arthur Weasley really cracking a joke, but maybe that that bit of him that's a bit quirky that likes plugs and muggle things like maybe Arthur really does actually see a lot of himself or his young self uh, in the twins specifically. So he goes easier on them. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think he also knows that they're already in um deep crap with their mother so he's using it as a threat to get them to straighten up and maybe take this a little more seriously but does he have any real intention 
of doing that to them because they are already on her bad side and God knows what the rest of the summer has been like. But I think, too, you have a good point, Eric, because I don't know. When I think about like someone like Arthur Weasley, he is the personification of a dad, like the person that you imagine telling a dad joke. And how how did that person start out? As a as a younger wizard, probably with an appreciation for the sillier things yeah. in life. Like we, yeah. um, and a fair uh, like yeah. we already know that he likes to tinker with things like the the flying fort Anglia or whatever it's called. Yeah, but and then I think Ron even mentions, oh, we hear explosions coming from Fred and George's room all the time. Like that's definitely where they get it from. That's such a good point as well. Now I'm remembering how in Lego Harry Potter, uh, Arthur Weasley's skill is that he fixes things. Uh, oh, yeah, <laughs> that's right. Yeah. And and Fred and George, you know, can pick a lock and they have that muggle. Yeah, I, I think I've just kind of found really what I think it is that lets Arthur let Fred and George off in this chapter. And in general, is that he sees too much of himself in them to really go hard at great personal risk. Yeah, because it's also about how the family is being represented in the outside world, particularly in the non-wizarding community. And we already know what kind of reaction the Dursleys have to wizarding kind. So this does not help Harry's case either, quite frankly. Like It's not just about Arthur and his job, but it's also about now the fact that Harry has to go back to Privet Drive next summer. and. Dudley has gone through this horrific experience. It's probably going to get him treated even worse than he's been treated before. The interesting thing about this specifically is that Harry still is all laughs. Um, He was all laughs at first when he was leaving Privet Drive, but this chapter, he does not actually ever calm down and say, actually, that was horrible. He is still super, super, super laughing about it when Fred and George are talking about it, when they're being reprimanded by Arthur. Harry is... Harry does not turn that corner ever yet, uh, saying that anything has made his life worse. Mm. So it is being played up for laughs. And I think this is one of those things where being much older and you read the books, you're like, oh, they jeopardize wizard muggle relations as a kid. You're like, yeah, they almost killed them. (laughs) Let's be real. Yeah. Choking on your tongue is a horrible way to die. We've said that. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Does it qualify as almost killing him if they knew their dad would be able to save him very easily. Yeah, I don't I don't think it was Fred, right? He was really the perpetrator. I don't think yeah. Fred would have let it get to that point, but the fact that he was willing to let it happen in the first place. And and again, we talked about this I think a couple episodes back, but they're not above testing a lot of the stuff on first years either. And we see that um right. come into play. Yeah, they have a really big blind spot. Um, By the way, if anyone's curious, uh, we keep mentioning Fred being the one behind things. I will say one of the new transcripts that's up on the MuggleCast website is number 508, the episode where we do the deep dive into Fred and George Weasley, specifically how to tell them apart from one another. So just a shout out, because this book is so Fred and George Weasley centric. They're in Mm -hmm. it a lot more than I think in any other book, even book six, because book six is about a lot of other stuff. So it's very exciting to kind of get this Weasley deep dive in this chapter. Yeah, no, and shout out to Meg for all her great work on the transcripts. Um, But, you know, speaking about all of this and 
just mentioned the testing on first years. You know, Ron fills hair in on what the twins have been up to, right? The forms that Molly found in their bedroom. And he actually sees their work for what it is, which is actually kind of cool, right? It's it's a different kind of intellect that I don't think that Molly, at least at this point, can appreciate. Th- these two are very talented. And <laughs> Molly is just blinded by like your average governmental daily nine to five type of job, unfortunately. I'm trying to think about how our parents were and Laura and Micah, please tell me, but like when you first told them that you work for a Harry Potter website, work <laughs> for, oh, do you get paid was the first question or like how was, because they had trouble conceiving of what it was like to do something you're more passionate about that didn't, again, no, we weren't paid uh, for more inf- information, see After Darks and many <laughs> history of behind the scenes stories among all that. We were not paid, but but what it gave us was in a different way rewarding in the way that Fred and George's joke shop right now is not netting them any money, but it's giving them so much more than standardized tests or doing well on said tests could ever. And so it's like trying to explain, again, working at MuggleNet to your parent, like Molly doesn't get it. It's only when she's literally in the premises of Weasley's Wizard Weasley's and Diagon Alley that she gets it, that this is something that is mainstream successful, that is going to allow them the, you know, ability to have a life for themselves, but it's just not the traditional path. Right. And I think that, there's this unrealistic expectation about them following in Arthur's footsteps. The twins are clearly not ministry, future ministry officials. That is just not in their DNA. Sorry, Molly. (laughs) It's just not. And and I think we all know people like that too. Like growing up, there was this expectation, like maybe you would follow in the family footsteps or you take over a certain business or you become a lawyer, you become a doctor you know, sort of the, right. the traditional tropes, so to speak. And, you know, having friends, when you look at them and, and you know them personally, you're just like, there's no way that that's going to happen, right? They're going to follow their passion. And that's what Fred and George are doing. And that's also what I think is so disconcerting about Molly in this situation is that Fred and George are passionate about this and she can't even lean in a bit. I think... As the sterner parent, she has the harder job, um, especially because her, I think what she internalizes her role as being in the parenting of these Weasley children uh, is to set them on a path for success. And you can only know how to do that in the one way that you know how to do that. Um, So by criticizing or by coming down on them for not having like any real aspirations, She's really just hoping, I think, to spark them asking that same question in themselves. It turns out they're right that their side project has some value. They're very lucky that it is because they should equally be thrown into Azkaban for experimenting on first years. (laughs) Um, I think, you know, Micah, I really feel that way. So, uh, you know, it's it's kind of 50-50. But if you look at it, all the Weasley kids, we're talking about Bill and Charlie, they all follow their own path, too. So actually what bothers me about Molly in this chapter specifically is how freaked out she is about them because you have Bill and Charlie who are home for the holidays and they are the perfect example of how, again, your parenting works. 
these people have different jobs. They're both totally different people, but they both are successful. And Percy looks great. So don't necessarily be freaking out about Fred and George. But I, I think the reason that's so heavy in this chapter is because it is, again, reintroducing us to this family and working on kind of ex, ex, like setting up everything that's going to come for the, not just the rest of this book, but the rest of the, the whole series. Definitely. Yeah. Katie, what do you make of Molly in this in this chapter? I mean, I feel like she's she's kind of hard on Fred and George, definitely. But then, like, uh, I was thinking about, like, with her and she's expecting them to go into the ministry. But we don't see that many jobs outside of the ministry. So I feel like going into the ministry for any wizard just seems more common. Like, we see Charlie with dragons in Romania, and then we see Bill at Gringotts, but, like, outside of those things, like, what other jobs are there? Teacher. Or wizards. Yeah. Teacher. Yeah. That's about it. Or, like, a shop owner. Shop yeah. owner, yeah. That's right. what they... Yeah. Well, there aren't yeah, that many yeah. options, come to yeah. think of it. Like you think of shop owner, like, the, the ice cream, and then you've got, like, the Quidditch ones, but... It's like, oh, just shop owner. Well, and Fred and George become those shop owners. And they become yeah. that. Mm -hmm. So it's like, oh, the, maybe it's like kind of looked down upon to become a shop owner. Yeah. And it's just more elite to join the ministry. Yeah. I mean, unfortunately, in reality, there are people who would look down on a shop owner, which is obviously ridiculous. Mm -hmm. But I think this is another way that Harry Potter does a really good job of holding the mirror up to the reality that is the world we live in mm -hmm. oh a hundred percent and we're gonna get to that <laughs> once we hit the dinner conversation but you know and, and even speaking of that too laura with molly i mean she's just she's so flustered and it's this chapter for her it's classic parent being stressed out by everything happening inside of her home and we don't have to go into all the examples of things that are happening but you know we opened the episode talking about the sauce boiling over and you know it's just her lack of attentiveness to the things that she would normally be focused on because she's so focused on her kids she's so frustrated by what Fred and George have done and you can just see how stress manifests it's actually interesting i mean i guess there are comparisons in in our society but just how her stress can manifest into her magic and like that's causing all these weird things to go on around the kitchen. Um, but we've, I, I, again, we've all been there where either we've been so stressed out that just things are happening, um, kind of scattered and, and all over the place, or we've pissed off our parents enough that <laughs> we know stay out of the room uh, to let them cool down for, for however long it takes. So. I, I will say I do wonder how the twins are reprimanded. We don't get an image of this because Harry is taken upstairs. Um, there might be like a loud noise they hear from down below. They know Fred and George are getting it, but there's no real aftermath. Fred and George seem perfectly normal at dinner and dinner is like very soon after. So I feel like whatever happened, as mad as Mrs. Weasley might have been, I really doubt that it was the talking to that maybe they deserved even. Yeah. Right. Uh, just to wrap up Molly, I do think the, 
the the harshest thing that she says. And it, it's almost like you wonder, is she talking to Ron and Harry in the moment or is she just kind of like thinking out loud to herself? Because she's like, oh, mm. they have no ambition. They're wasting their brains. But it's actually quite the opposite. They do have ambition and they're not wasting their brains. They're super creative, super talented. She just kind of can't see it in this moment. And the irony is, Percy is upstairs toiling away in his room to basically be a drone for Barty Crouch. That he's being asked to write a synopsis of a larger report. I mean, okay, that's pretty on the yeah, all right. You saw, yeah, uh, it's and so it's, it's like the exact opposite <laughs> of being creative and using your brain. Mm-hmm. Not to say that doesn't require brain power, but I would argue that what Fred and George are doing is a hell of a lot more uh, intellectually demanding. I don't know. Maybe someone's not going to agree with me on that. (laughs) No. The only other thing I'd add, because we've talked quite a bit about friend George, we've talked quite a bit about Molly, is that I have this idea that maybe she expects from them specifically some character traits reminiscent in her brother's. Um, The reason being that her brothers, Gideon and Fabian Pruitt, uh, who died during the first Wizarding World War are the inspiration or presumably inspiration for the first initial for Fred and George of their name. So their so-called namesake, for instance, you know, if if Molly, no matter how she felt about her brothers, if they were a certain way, I feel like Molly would focus specifically on Fred and George's failings because of comparison to whoever her brothers were. And that's always such a dangerous thing that can happen if you place expectations on a child to live up to the legacy of a dead person that they never even met. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That, I mean, if you want to talk about things that may have influenced Fred and George and kind of molded them into the people they are, that would be one of them. That's super interesting comparison though. And, and I do wonder to your point, Eric, like, did they have a kind of recklessness about them, Gideon, Fabian, that ultimately got them killed in that first war? Because wow. we see that mm-hmm. very same recklessness in Fred and George. And maybe that's her concern, especially knowing that there's a war that's not, I mean, Voldemort's not back yet, but he's going to be pretty soon. Right. That would be a perfect way of explaining Molly's apprehension toward their behavior. Right. Not. Not that they don't live up to Gideon and Fabian, but that they're just like them. Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Go ahead, Katie. Like, we know that Gideon and Fabian joined the Order of the Phoenix and Molly didn't. But, I mean, that's that sounds very reckless. Yeah. Yeah. Knowing that all the Weasleys are Gryffindors anyway kind of paints them as all all as reckless a little bit, Mm -hmm. I think. Oh. It's also a wampus trait. Ooh. (laughs) So let's talk about Percy. And happy birthday, Chris Rankin. Happy yes. birthday. Now a member of the of the 40 Club. So welcome. It's a great group to be a part of. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So we talked about how Percy is interrupted several times in this chapter when he's trying to do his ministry work. First time it's by Harry, Ron, Hermione, and Ginny going upstairs. Then a little bit later on, it's uh, actually kind of a Fred and George moment from Bill and Charlie. Uh, during their uh, their table wars, as I'd call it, like they're they're trying to annoy Percy. Let's be honest. There's no reason to have dueling tables in the backyard. Mm, yeah, but um, 
what I really wanted to focus on with Percy is, is there's a lot of these, what I would consider to be corporate culture references that are worth paying attention to. And I'll just run through them real fast and we can react to them in, in kind of totality. So Percy is trying to make himself and his work seem more important than they actually are, right? In truth, most people don't care about cauldron thickness. <laughs> Laura, you touched on this earlier, unnecessary reporting and paperwork. Percy is obsessed with work and he it's noted that he would not come home if Arthur didn't make him. And he's in love, head over heels with Barty Crouch Sr. So there's a lot to digest here, but this this is kind of the nature of corporate culture, at least that's been my experience in Western society. Um, when you talk about kind of the unnecessary reporting, trying to make yourself seem more important than you are in terms of the work that you do, it, it, not necessarily that we do that, but you may know people who do that. Um, and then being obsessed with work, not coming home or just not focusing on work-life balance, your family, things like that. And I get it, he's young, but I, I think it's a little bit of a, of a statement on corporate culture. I think that's very apt and it's definitely mm -hmm. a statement on corporate, like the things you point out are very, that feels real and feels like it would be like an, an office kind of sitcom plot to have, oh, I have to have this report on Cauldron Bottoms due. And it's like, nobody's going to read that. Um, but for me, I think like work is stability. Percy is happy to be stable. When he comes home, his older brothers who are home for the holiday or whatever are banging tables together as loudly as possible, making them race each other and hit each other and crash and crack. There's none of that at the ministry. The ministry is quiet. The ministry is solitude. The ministry is Percy's happy place, not because he's a kiss ass who has no real imagination, but because it's not the chaos of everywhere else. And so I sympathize with, with Percy as, as somebody who always said they would have loved a job where they could wear a suit every day to work. That's the kind of job Percy has. I never got that kind of a job. I'm the work with my hands kind of guy, but it just is a different lifestyle. It's just a different kind of mentality. And none of the other Weasleys have. Arthur does it. But I, I think that it's really Percy that we see that really just likes the feeling of working for the government and, and helping in a way. I think that's true. But I think it's also true that he's a kiss ass. Yeah. <laughs> Multiple truths, y'all. Multiple truths Multiple exist. Multiple truths. There we go. We're going to ring a bell every time that comes up now. I know. Our final sponsor today is Me Undies. Cozy up in style this fall with the unmatched comfort of Me Undies. MeUndies has the softest and most breathable underwear and loungewear that I've ever experienced. Whether you're on the grind during the work week or posted up on the couch watching Harry Potter, MeUndies is here to keep you comfy. MeUndies offer cloud-like comfort that, once you experience, you'll be like Harry entering the Wizarding World for the first time. You'll be wondering where this joy has been all your life. MeUndies' signature micromodal fabric is as soft as a warm hug from your favorite sweater. It's breathable, stretchy, and oh-so-comfy, making it ideal for all-day wear. MeUndies fabrics are light and breathable to help regulate your body temperature so you stay cool and comfy. But they're not just about underwear, and as the cooler temps creep in, their equally soft loungewear will have you all set for nights by the fireplace. And if you're not happy with your first pair of undies, it's on MeUndies. 
So to get 25% off your first order plus free shipping, go to MeUndies.com slash Muggle. That's MeUndies.com slash Muggle for 25% off plus free shipping. MeUndies, comfort from the outside in. I wanted to riff off of something that you said, Eric, though, because I do think Percy behaves this way because of how his family treats him. I think there's there's a part yes. of that that we need to take into consideration here, especially when you're thinking about something like he doesn't want to come home. It may not necessarily be because he loves his work at the ministry, although that can be true too. I think a lot of it has to do with how he's treated by his family, particularly by his brothers. Yep. yep. Not as much so. We don't see as much, at least right now, um, with Molly and with Arthur, but he's really not treated well by Fred and George. Ron and him seem to have a okay type of relationship, but it's also clear, at least from the very little we see with Bill and Charlie, they like to make fun of him a little bit too. He's their little brother. Nobody else, none of the other Weasleys have that on Percy. Yeah. Right. So there's that angle to it. Yeah, I agree. And you know, the thing about Ron and Percy's relationship, I would usually agree with you, Micah, that, that they get along this chapter, Ron bullies Percy. That's how I would characterize their interaction when they're going up the stairs. Ron is the one that says to his face, oh, that'll change the re- the world, that report will. And it's like, he says that directly to Percy's face. And I'm like, "Where? what's your angle, Ron? Like here, because that's, that's hurtful. That's telling his older brother that his older brother's work doesn't matter or won't make a lick of difference in the grand scheme of things. You don't. Is that regular negging? Yeah. I don't have a brother. So is it like, really? I have a brother. I I think that is very normal. <laughs> a younger brother, too, I will add. So to the older brother, just being like insulin, like, I don't know. Ron goes pretty hard. Yeah, he does. But Percy's also being so annoying this summer. I feel like it's it's one of these things where it's this vicious cycle, right? Percy has and has always had a very serious personality because of that, he takes it too far sometimes. And because of that, no one in his family takes him seriously except for his mother. And so he seeks out environments where he feels like he is receiving more respect and being taken more seriously, which kind of feeds his addiction to being so serious. And then he comes home and he brings that with him. Kind of to Micah's point about somebody being too into their corporate culture and not being able to turn it off when they leave the building. Right. Yeah. He comes home and does that. And his family's like, wow, you're extra annoying today. (laughs) Yeah. It's it's the inability to be able to separate the two so much Mm -hmm. so that, you know, and and like I've been guilty of it too, where I come home and it's like, oh, I'm on my work computer. I'm looking at my work phone and it's eight or nine o'clock at night. And it's like the family was like, what are you doing? Like, can't you separate that out? And I, th- I think there is some of that with Percy. The other, the other thing I just looked up too is it's, it's really only Harry that is kind to Percy because mm-hmm. he, he, he asks yeah. him straight up, like, what are you working on? And that's probably the nicest thing that anybody has said to Percy <laughs> these last like couple <laughs> weeks that he's been there. The bar is so low; it's beneath Gringotts right now. I thought the same thing. I was like, Harry's being so nice. I think it's just because like he's a guest, but he's also curious about the wizarding world too. Like, oh, That's... cauldron bottom thickness. That must be important. It's not according to Ron. 
that is such a good point, Katie, too, is that as the, as the reader, we are the interested party that, you know, Harry's the conduit for us to figure out more about the wizarding world in this moment. So as it's funny because we get this information, but it's characterized as being unimportant. Right. Yeah. I, I think even Ginny gets a couple shots in there too, if I'm not mistaken. <laughs> but Yeah. It's real bad. Uh, all right. So wrapping up our conversation about family dynamics, uh, the last thing to touch on here, and this actually comes up at the, the very tail end of the chapter, it's noted that Fred and George sent Percy some Norwegian dragon dung in his office inbox. And I got to say, this is a little bit too far. Like this is crossing that line because it's his work. It's it's his place of employment. Like to me, that's just, you don't go there. I bet Fred did it. It was Fred's idea. <laughs> <laughs> there has to be one time when Charlie, when George had a, the idea, but. But I mean, Charlie's home for the summer. So where did he get the dragon dung? Yeah, that's a good question. I just, I don't do well with any kind of like that, you know, flaming dog poo kind of stuff, like those pranks and stuff. Just really like leave a bad smell in my nose. <laughs> you just think about how awful it would have. Yeah. yeah. So it it is Fred who says we sent it. Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Well, there you go. It's like it was personal. It was me. It was us. But see that that's like trying to embarrass Percy on a whole different level. Yeah. Yeah. That that goes too far. Well, I I just got to say I appreciate Percy explaining it away. A sample of fertilizer from Norway. <laughs> like he he's clever. He thinks on his feet. Mm-hmm. All right. So the second part of this discussion is actually about Percy. It's it's continuing our Percy conversation because I think it's important that we really listen carefully to what Percy has to say because there's a lot of things he tells us in this dinner conversation, not to you know dismiss what else is going on at the other end of the table, but we get a little bit more insight into a number of characters, some of whom we've never heard anything about before, some of whom were name dropped in the very first chapter. So we will get to that uh, in just a minute. But uh, Barty Crouch Sr., uh, we talked a little bit about him in this discussion. He's Percy's boss. He's the head of the Department of Magical Law Enforcement. And we've been told that he's working on the Quidditch World Cup. Outside of that, not a whole lot more, uh, despite the the amount of ass kissing that Percy does and just the amount of praise that he gives him. Anything else we want to say about Barty Sr.? For me, what interests me is that Barty Crouch Sr. is interested in Bertha Jorkin's disappearance. This little factoid that is snuck so cleverly in and immediately explained as, oh, Bertha Jorkin's worked for the department at one time. She's been all around. She worked for so many departments. You don't think it's significant. The fact that she once worked for Barty Crouch Jr. Senior is exactly how she wound up at Barty Crouch Senior's house. That one time when she happened to see Barty Crouch Jr., that one bit of information that is exactly the same bit of information that Voldemort take that formulated this whole plan in this whole book. And it's something Percy says, you know, Crouch is distracted. He's such a great man. He cares about this former employee he once had. And you're just like, I buy it. It's the most important bit of information hidden in the least likely place. That's a really good call out. It is. There's also Ludo Bagman, who we will meet 
pretty shortly uh, in the next couple of chapters. He is the head of the Department of Magical Games and Sports, and he's the one who has lost one of his employees, Bertha Jorkins. She went to Albania and she never came back. And given what we witnessed in the first chapter, should we as readers expect that Voldemort maybe has something planned for the Quidditch World Cup? Mm, yeah, mm-hmm. probably. Especially because it's been name dropped in now two chapters. And these are the early chapters where no names are spared. They're all very important. All right. Now let's get to Bertha because she gets a whole lot of shade thrown her way in this chapter. For real. I really think Percy just he goes hard on her and I wondered, you know, given everything that you all talked about in the last episode, Laura, uh, with Chloe and Meg and Pam, could this be a bit of a larger commentary by JK Rowling on how women are perceived in certain work environments? I think it's important to remember that this was written in the early 2000s. Um, and there's a heavy influence for J.K. Rowling, given her experiences in workplace environments in the 80s and 90s. So not necessarily, even though it's written in the early 2000s, she's not drawing on her experiences in the early 2000s. She's likely drawing on her experiences in her prior careers. So curious to get your thoughts there. Yeah. Well, I will say those experiences are a tale as old as time because uh, this very much still exists with certain people in certain workplaces. Um, I don't know, though, if I think Percy is actually participating in this right here. He could be, right? I think it totally depends on your interpretation. I really get the sense that Percy is kind of an equal opportunity pick me, right? Like he is definitely, he is the definition of a pick me. And I think that he is someone who will put anyone else down to make himself seem better, seem superior. Uh, we have to remember like 30 seconds before he said all of this about Bertha Jorkins, he was talking smack about Ludo Bagman too. Well, I don't even think it's about being a, a pick me, which is a fun uh, word I'm just learning. Oh, really? Uh, but Eric, yeah, get on TikTok. I never, I, oh, really? <laughs> that that explains it. Okay, TikTok explains so many things. Yeah, yeah. But <laughs> I think what it is is he's simply regurgitating the company line, the company line about Bertha that she was forgetful that she's the department department. This is Percy doesn't have the maturity to think for himself at this mm-hmm. point. He is only saying, it's like the kids who your first political, we're all guilty of this. Your first political views, your parents' political views. You get in trouble for saying something ignorant because it's what you heard at home. This is Percy at work. This He's just saying whatever he was told or he's repeating what grownups are saying in the office about Bertha. And so I don't think it's him specifically commenting at all on his opinion of her. I bet I doubt he knew her. Yeah, I was going to say that. Like, he's only been working at the ministry for a couple months. Did he actually even know her? No, that's a great question. Probably not. And, you know, to that point, Eric, this got me thinking again about a real world work comparison, something that I think unfortunately can happen in most workplaces. I think Percy has been adopted 
by a toxic colleague who lives for office drama <laughs> and has looped him in on all the hot goss, all the hot office goss. So Percy is basically parroting the limited information that he has to make himself sound more important and knowledgeable. Mm -hmm. I feel like Percy is on the like toxic coworker pipeline right now. He is setting himself up to become that person who is way too involved in the personal affairs of people at work and knows way too much about their personal lives or so he thinks and perpetuates office gossip. It's not looking good yes, for Percy at this point. No, <laughs> it's because his own family doesn't accept him that he's found this new family at work. That's... But the new family at work is slated for demolition because the government is going down and Voldemort's <laughs> coming up. And so I really feel for Percy because of the, the trajectory that he's on. He's not going to come out looking. No. It's not going to look good. It's it's this trajectory that puts him against his family in the next book and the next one. Yeah. And, and it's the way that he delivers all of this is with an air of superiority because he works for the ministry. He's able to speak so eloquently and from a position of what he perceives to be power. Uh, and we actually see that a little bit later on when, when he kind of teases the Triwizard Tournament, but doesn't give any information mm -hmm. about it. Oh, yeah. Um, but I actually like that as a potential title, Laura, for this episode, Percy the Parrot. Oh, my God. I love that. Andrew, do it. <laughs> we got a little alliteration going on. Uh, but yeah, let's just talk a little bit about some of the things that Percy says. He says Bertha has gotten lost plenty of times before, that she's quote unquote hopeless. She's been shunted from department to department for years and that she's more trouble than she's worth. And he also repeats something that Ludo says that she probably risks, she probably misread the map and ended up in Australia <laughs> instead of Albania. I wow. <laughs> cannot. <laughs> That's actually funny, though. That's that's actually. Can I say? Like, I think a lot of this is really bad hating a woman. That one's funny. <laughs> I just laugh at that. Okay, <laughs> okay, but I have I have to bring this up because when I read this, I pulled up a world map, oh. and I just have to say, if Bertha Jorkins is trying to go to Albania and she accidentally ends up in a country whose name is the first three letters is A-U-S. I just want to point out Austria is right there. That's mm -hmm. a lot closer. That's a lot right. closer. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, if the port keys are alphabetized to each of these places, Australia isn't as far away as it is geographically. Yeah, I guess that's true. But why stay there? <laughs> Well, Come right. Back. That's the, well. That's a, these things don't actually hold up against a lick of of of, and and that's that's actually the dangerous part uh, that I have in here is all of this that we see uh, Percy saying about Bertha, whether it's his opinion or not, and I think it is his opinion as well that she's worth you know more trouble than she's worth. Um, that's a really dangerous thing because this behavior that we see from the ministry in not searching for one of their own employees. Uh, is exactly the same behavior. It's the same behavior that denies Voldemort's return and endangers the wizarding world and allows the government to fall later. It's the same exact mechanism, this complete failure to 
conceive that something deeper and dire has really occurred and playing it down because it's convenient, because it means that the public won't be in an uproar over it. And it buys you some time to go on being as mediocre and status quo as you always are. They are choosing what's easy over what's right. And for Bagman, we don't know him yet. That is kind of Mm. a, a classic representation of his personality to say something like that. But when it's coming through Percy, it just doesn't land the same way because we haven't had the opportunity to meet Ludo yet. And I also think this kind of going off of what you said, Eric, Ludo just doesn't really seem like he takes much responsibility at all here either. Like he is not, he, he's willing to kind of jokingly suggest that um, Bertha is inept in the sense that she can't figure out where she really wanted to go. But he's also kind of inept for not doing more to go and find her. Like he's bad at his job. Like that's his employee that he should. Mm -hmm. Oh, he's horrible at his job. 100%. Yeah. He's a games and sports man and an ex-Quidditch player that just needs to get back to the games and sports. And clearly she's not challenged in any way. She's She works for the ministry, so she must ha- be of some level of intellect to, to get that job in the first place. And maybe she's department hopping because she's qualified in multiple areas and she has multiple skill sets. Why does it have to be because- There you yeah. go. She's- bad at her job yeah so she's damned if she does she's damned if she doesn't this is you know complete cultural commentary from this era justice for bertha yeah not even just from this era i'm telling you oh god that that kind of thing is alive and well unfortunately well you know it The interesting thing about all this is that it's so seemingly easy as a reader to just kind of glance over this conversation and not pay it much attention. But there is so much happening kind of between the lines in what is being said here. Uh, And I figured we could just wrap up the discussion. We teased this a little bit earlier. Percy alludes to the Triwizard Tournament. He's being a little bit of a prick about it. He's clearly been... (laughs) <laughs> you know, going on about this with Ron and Fred and George for a while now. And I think that this was his opportunity and he missed it to be kind of the cool brother who knew about this event and chose not to share the information with them. Yeah. Yeah. Like he's just mm. out of Hogwarts. He 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 knows how cool this would have been if he was in Hogwarts. Yeah. Oh, yeah, he he could have shared. That's a good point, Katie. Honestly, I feel like a cool brother in this moment would have still kept it under wraps. You don't want to give away too much. Um, you want there to be an air of mystery, but you could literally say something like, uh, or give a fun hint like, "Hey, you might want to learn some French." <laughs> <laughs> Wink. Oh, that's <laughs> something awesome. like that to be like, wait, something international is happening. Yeah. Or Charlie will be seeing you soon again, won't we? Uh, yeah. Uh, 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 and then have and then have multiple brothers kind of like talking about it or teasing it up. I just I love that it's fallen flat on Percy's face. The way that Harry is genuinely interested, and he looks to Ron, and Ron is just like, "No, don't. We've we've all." He wants us to ask. 
we're not asking. None of us have ever asked because he wants it more every mm-hmm. time we don't ask. Don't we all <laughs> like, know someone oh like that who drops heavy handed yeah. hints, clearly wanting you to ask about something and you're like, I am not going to ask. Give <laughs> Percy a break. So everybody just give Percy a break. He's literally running from home because the ministry is quieter than his house. This kid needs some love and some support from his family. I do have a soft spot for Percy, though. He's he's not that bad. He's not. He's misguided. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, I think that wraps up the discussion. We'll do a couple of odds and ends here from the chapter. And what I liked about this discussion is we really didn't spend any time with Harry, Ron, or Hermione, uh, even though they're they're kind of the lens through which we see all of this um, transpire. So uh, we touched on this earlier that Ginny turns red upon seeing Harry for the first time. This is just in case that as a reader, you forgot that she has a crush on Harry. Uh, we also get the information that she is responsible for naming uh, Pigwidgeon, which was a trivia question, Quizich question, right, Eric, a couple weeks ago? I believe so. That's correct. Yes, it was. And just for anyone who needs a reminder or might be curious, uh, Pigwidgeon is a noun that means an insignificant or simple person. Oh, well... <laughs> And Ginny thinks this is sweet. That says more about Ginny. Yeah, I know. And Ron, Ron was like, Ginny says it's sweet. And I was like, what? No. <laughs> well, it's sweet. He's so simple. Remember her kids' names. That's all I'll say. True. Yeah. You got me there. We should have seen it coming. Mm-hmm. Honestly. <laughs> also thought it was important that only 11 were dining in the garden. So we can, you know. Don't have to worry about the first to rise. So there aren't any pets in somebody's pockets that are secretly grown men that we could count towards no. this total? Unless you want to oh. co- count the uh, the garden gnomes and crookshanks. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, unfortunately, Andrew's not here. I was going to have fun with him on this, but sports bro. Um, we get Victor Crumb name drop uh, towards the end of this chapter. We also get just a little bit more insight into the uh, Quidditch World Cup. Uh, with some of the other countries that are mentioned and kind of how everything played out uh, for us to get to this final uh, between Ireland and Bulgaria. And then lastly, Harry updates Ron and Hermione on his correspondence with Sirius, but doesn't tell them about his scar or his dream. So this is one of those situations where Harry is just so happy he doesn't want to ruin the moment. And that could be looked back maybe in a couple chapters, maybe at the end of this book, as being a little bit of a misstep. Mm -hmm. I agree. Yeah. But that wraps up chapter five. Well, now it's time, I believe, for MVP of the week. And I will give it to the Garden Gnomes for surviving Crookshanks. As well as keeping the cat occupied. The reason Crookshanks isn't bothering anyone right now is because the gnomes have his undivided attention. I think that's cool that they are still alive. Good for them. (laughs) I love how nobody has any objections to this. It's like (laughs) the gnomes, the gnomes are taken care of. The cat's busy. This is great. (laughs) Hermione, you want to just leave him here? It makes sense. We all, yeah, we (laughs) cats need exercise. It's good for them. Um, I'm going to give mine, as I said earlier on in the show, to Bill, my punk rock king. 
and I'm going to give it to Hermione because she was able to read the room a couple times in this chapter and just kind of usher Harry and Ron to different locations. Uh, so I thought she had pretty good awareness in this one. Um, I'm giving mine to Charlie for explaining the Quidditch World Cup and how how Ireland got to where it's supposed to be. Not for the I muscles. And the muscles. <laughs> and the burn. <laughs> I guess we can mention Andrew gave his to the borough for being a cool place to hang and a wonderful wizarding world space. Anytime we're at the borough, I should get the MVP. If you have feedback about today's discussion, you can, of course, contact us by emailing or sending a voice memo recorded on your phone and attached to an email to us at mugglecast at gmail.com or by using our phone number 19203Muggle. That's 19203684. Five, three. Next week, Goblet of Fire, Chapter 6, The Port Key. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> uh, it's time now for Quizitch. Last week's Quizitch question was, of course, how many times did Harry physically visit the burrow during the seven-book series? And uh, this was a pretty hard one. I was pleased because it divided everyone. We don't have as many winners as usual. Uh, a lot of people thought it was various numbers here. The correct answer was five. Five times Harry actually physically visits the borough. And as uh, Elizabeth Kay put it, the answer, the breakdown is like this. Before the second year with the flying car, before the fourth year, for the World Cup, before the sixth year, Harry visits after getting Slughorn. The sixth year, Harry visits for Christmas. And before the seventh year of Hogwarts for Bill and Fleur's wedding, uh, Elizabeth also said, I thought it was more. So there's that. I will say also, Laura, there was a request from somebody named I am Molly Weasley. She's a girl boss. Oh. The request was for you to read, and not me, the additional winners of this week's Quizage. Are you interested? Oh my God. Yes. I'm so excited. <laughs> I feel like this is okay. What an I know you can is. do it justice. So I've all, I know you gotta have all the fun. I mean, we're going to see, I don't know if I can live up to uh, Eric, but we're going to see if I can fill these shoes. All right. Last week's. So these were the, the other correct winners. Yes. Yes. The other correct winners for last week's question, Callie loves Quizich. Kate, Dahlia, the 13-year-old, Dobby, will you marry me? I really want to be mentioned here. Please let you guys get this. Dear God. <laughs> Does anyone else play Try to Guess, which is Micah's name? Elizabeth K, give us more Chloe, Grant Chapman, Hagrid's hog... Hagrid's Hippogriff Eats Ferret Draco, Hallow the Uncreative Wolf, I Am Molly Weasley, She a Girl Boss, shout out, I Wish We Could Go Back to Regular Times, I'm Pringles That Don't Come in the Hard to Grab Can, Ivy Bug 2013, Justice for Winky, LC, Light the Fire, Tell Your Stories, Load of Quaffles, Maddie B, My Son Thought Micah Was Tom Segura, <laughs> One Elder Wand to Rule Them All, The Mirror Over the Mantelpiece That Cannot Abide Untucked Shirts, Hashtag Unsung Hero, They See Me... <laughs> They see me rolling. Visit the borough at Hogwarts on an island in Daybreak, Utah. Search Instagram. 
Okay. Voldemort said it's horcruxing time and started horcruxing all over the place. Wow. <laughs> Yay. Y'all, so, y'all, I just have to say, Eric makes that look so much easier than it is. <laughs> <laughs> no, you. to be fair, you had like three seconds notice, uh, so I think you did excellent That's fair. On that. Thank you very much. Uh, anytime you want me to read those, I'd be happy to. They delight me. Honestly, I think... They delight yeah. me. I don't know why. They just do. Yeah. It's the simple things in life. I did not submit this week, by the way. You didn't oh, submit I was this gonna, week? Okay. I was no. going to guess that um which one there was a dirty one hang on hagrid's hog (laughs) (laughs) i was like where's the dirty one that's the one (laughs) it wasn't me so clearly i'm having an effect which is fantastic (laughs) amazing amazing like it's like my work here is done um so here is you know what since we're on a i'm on a kick on a generous kick of having the rest of you do quizage for me uh, Katie or Micah, would you like to read next week's Quizzit question? Sure. Next week's Quizzit question is, according to Amos Diggory, what family couldn't get tickets to the Quidditch World Cup? Submit your correct answers to us on the Quizzit form located on the MuggleCast website by going to MuggleCast.com and clicking Quizzit at the top of the main nav or typing in your URL or search bar, MuggleCast.com slash Quizich. And as some closing reminders here, don't forget the MuggleCast and hashtag Millennial Overstock store is now open. Visit MuggleMillennial.etsy.com to get one-of-a-kind MuggleCast gifts while supplies last, also Millennial gifts. These are great holiday gifts to add to your wish list or for the MuggleCast and Millennial fans in your life. And if you're enjoying MuggleCast and think other Muggles would too, tell a friend about the show. We'd also appreciate it if you left us a review in your favorite podcast app. And you can visit patreon.com if you want to support the show and receive early access to the show, ad-free episodes, bonus episodes, yearly physical gifts, and much more. If you're an Apple Podcast subscriber, you can tap into the show and receive early and ad-free access to each episode for $5.99 a month. Whether pledging through Patreon or Apple Podcasts, free trials and annual subscriptions are available. And that Patreon link is patreon.com slash MuggleCast. And of course, you can visit MuggleCast.com for transcripts, social media links, our full episode archive, our favorite episodes, and of course, to contact us. That's right. And we would like to thank Katie for joining us yeah. on this episode of MuggleCast. Thank you for having me. This was great. Great job. You're fabulous. This was a lot of fun. So uh, that will be it for MuggleCast episode 635. I'm Eric. I'm Micah. I'm Laura. And I'm Katie. Bye, y'all. Bye. Bye.